Hi, everybody. Jared J. Sexton, welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm here with Nick Houseman. Nick Houseman, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to tell you that I'm good, and that's all that matters. You know, we're just going to leave it at that. We're not going to get into what is behind I'm good. Most of the time, Nick, I don't accept that. Most of the time, somebody asks me how I am. I'm honest with them. But in this case, I'm going to go ahead and just jump right through it. Well, can I just say this real quick? Because I'll make it as fast as I can. Is The way you ask people how they're doing makes me feel so um, inadequate because you truly want to know how people are doing. And I don't feel like I, I don't I don't do it enough. Like I don't care enough as much as you do, even though I do care. Trust me, I do. I want to know how you're doing. But I got to tell you, the way you ask people how they're doing, it's it's like penetrating. And, you, and everybody just wants to tell you exactly what's going on. I, I appreciate that. But I will tell you that uh, I think people fall on one side of a line or another. Either they appreciate it or I'm like they're like most disliked person they don't they really like i've seen people almost trip and fall when i ask them legitimately how they are <laughs> okay. like you know mid-stride they're going about their day and next thing you know they're almost like oh. well i just want you to know I, when i going after having met you and been your friend for so long i now really use that as my impetus for when i ask people i really want to try and get in that mindset i love it really thank listen. you so, thank you so much that that is wonderful but we're we're just gonna skateboard right through it all right uh we we have a whole host of things to talk about nick uh before we do uh we got another debate this week uh this wednesday night that is december 6th at 8 p.m eastern it's going to be what looks like the final gop primary debate before the iowa caucuses uh we're going to preview that in a little bit but as you know we are going to be here covering that after the event uh it looks to be about a two-hour thing so roughly 10 p.m eastern uh beaming into your household to give you exclusive post-debate analysis the type of stuff that you don't get anywhere else people who tuned in after the uh uh, DeSantis Newsom debate have been raving about all of that. And by the way, everything that we talked about has come to bear and pass since that debate. That is this Wednesday, December 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern is when it is. It's in Alabama. We'll be broadcasting right after that. Go over to patreon.com slash podcast in order to join in on all the fun. I will say, though, Nick, <laughs> when I brought up the fact that there was another debate, your reaction was, and I'm just going to quote you a little bit here. Well, if you were in the live show uh, last time and I had that free stream of you when you thought that they were going to go longer, uh, that Hannity was going to impromptu uh, take over the network, I kind of feel like I had that maybe, I don't know if it was that exact same expression, but I, I wasn't, let's just say the, the the accompanying music would be something like, rah, rah, rah. it was abject horror. I had had enough. <laughs> I had had enough. You had had enough. Everyone had had enough. But again, this is what we do. We stand guard. We watch this stuff. Go over to patreon.com slash podcast. All right, everybody. In the main segment today, uh, the, the, the biggest news story in the world right now. Uh, unfortunately, the ceasefire uh, in Israel and Gaza has come to an end. Uh, we are seeing a bombardment of Gaza. It looks like Israel is about to go into South Gaza uh, after these hostages have been released. The U.S. was attempting to lengthen uh, the ceasefire fire a lot of pressure was going on there and nick in the midst of all of this and i was actually a little surprised by how little attention this got because this is a bombshell uh we need to talk about the new york times releasing a report that uh israel had a uh, a copy of Hamas's uh, October 7th invasion plans. They had codenamed it Jericho Wall. Uh, they had had this plan for over a year. It had been widely shared and circulated among the military and intelligence apparatus of Israel, uh, even in July. 
just a couple of months before the actual invasion, an analyst had warned, and and, and tell me if this sets off any uh, reminders, that the system was all blinking red, Nick, right? Hamas determined to attack within Israel. Right. And and was completely written off. Uh, it seems like also there's like some uh, semantic stuff in there that makes you wonder if there's some sexism to exactly why that happened. Uh, but this is a damning thing. And it really puts this entire war into a different light. You and I had talked about this, uh, whether or not Israel, how they couldn't have had any pre-warning about this. And how, how are you feeling about this report, especially as this thing is starting to get off the ground again? It, it, well, it, it's this, the cynic in me would say, you know, when we found out about that, um, the 9-11 uh, memo, yep. you know, uh, how did that how did that hurt uh, Bush in 04? Like it didn't. He like yep. he won resoundingly. Right. Uh, and I suppose if the Netanyahu government is going to oh get to the bottom of all this eventually, like, you know, they're not going to get anywhere with that. You're not going to be able to prove that they got anywhere beyond the lowest levels of their intelligence. Right. Um, but it is. I, I still think that the biggest thing that frustrated me, because, again, this happens, right? 9-11 happened, you know, for whatever reason. The communications weren't there. And the same in Israel. But the the delay in the response from, you know, like 7 a.m. on October 7th until when they finally were able to mobilize uh, a response and to save people was like 10 hours. And so the fact that they even knew about this anyway and then they couldn't mobilize anything at all, that that's still the most damning thing to me, where they should have been on it within, you know, half an hour they should have had every you know troops there ready to ready to protect the israel so um again i I don't i don't i don't have any faith that this is going to have an effect on it because really what we have to worry about is how how is netanyahu going to get the hell out of there how are they going to get him out of there and that's that's the real issue here and perhaps that's one of the reasons why this got leaked yeah, we talked about this. Uh, I think we discussed it after the the Newsom DeSantis debate. You and I had stayed on for a couple of minutes to talk about this report. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think that it would be a far fetched theory that the U.S. administration, which has absolutely tired of Netanyahu, everything that is getting out into our media is we are trying to talk to this guy. We are trying to reason with this guy. We're trying to tamp down war crimes. We're trying to tamp down the violence. He won't do it. I mean, Blinken can't go over to Israel and get a meeting where he gets heard for anything right now. So yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if this came out like, like you just said, as a leak from the U S administration, I think you brought up another good point in this, Nick, which is when we think about nine 11, and of course this is uh, Israel's nine 11 moment that, that this is in a much smaller geographical space. This is their war on terror. I mean, you're even seeing like releases from the Netanyahu administration. They're talking about they're determined to to wipe Hamas off the map, no matter where they are geographically, where they are in the world, whether they're in Gaza or not, which is um, maniac behavior. Right. The idea you got to find evil wherever it is in the world and wipe it out, which is how you have a war over in 100 countries. Our understanding of 9-11, Nick, is not an adult understanding. I'm not talking about you and me and our listeners. I'm talking about the American understanding of 9-11. We have a almost like a cable news time life understanding of it, right? We got hit on a Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. And then we had to respond and we had to go after Al Qaeda. And this was this terrible uh, international terrorist organization that we, you know, they had, they had all of these things hidden in mountainsides and underground and all that. Like it was basically Cobra from GI Joe. Well, that wasn't true. And on top of that, you're exactly right. It was proven that the George W. Bush administration 
absolutely fell asleep at the at the the switches and that's one of the reasons of course why so many conspiracy theories have grown up around this how could the most powerful nation in the world not stop what was an obvious terrorist attack on the way there's a couple of things that happened like you said a lack of communication on top of that sclerotic administrative growth like one of the things that's going on in israel is the fact that netanyahu is not an effective leader and the people around him are not effective leaders. As a result, even though they claim to be strong men, they're going to protect everybody, they can't do it. But meanwhile, when we look back on 9-11, what you just said is exactly right. George W. Bush and the people around him failed to protect America. Not many people remember that. Now, we, we have a quote here. This is from the uh, Israeli Minister of Strategic Affairs, Ron Dermer. He said, quote, we're going to get to the bottom of it after the war. Well, when in the hell will that be? When are you going to get into it? It behooves Netanyahu and everybody around him not to talk about this, to move forward and hopefully continue with this war. It is beneficial for him. And as a result, you may never even remember that this report came out and that Israel knew that this was coming for over a year. Is this a war? You know, that, I mean, it's an interesting question. Is it a war? I mean, it's an ethnic cleansing disguised as a war, but sure, yes. You know, and that's funny because I've been having this discussion about ethnic cleansing and genocide and, and a lot of different words that we're using. And whether that matters or not, I don't even know. Um, you know, because like in theory, if you wanted to, if the Israelis didn't care at all about lies, they got gods and lies, then they would just level the whole place in one day, right? Like that's a theory. Um, that said, uh, and we have to, again, I mean, you know, I'll acknowledge, you know, Hamas is putting innocent Palestinians in harm's way as much as they can to, to, to have this happen. They don't care about that. By the way, Haaretz uh, reported, uh, the newspaper in Israel, which is pretty liberal, they, they announced, uh, they had a, an article where it said that, like, they were reporting that most Arab leaders around, around the region want Israel to get rid of Hamas, and so they also drew and by the way, they probably view it as a direct threat to all the money they can make if they oh. can get some deals going with Israel. You know what I mean? Which is no, leaders outside. And, and you bring up an interesting point here. Leaders outside of ones who are like in, in, in the Middle East. And by the way, this has always been the case. America did it. Europe did it. Everybody did it post-war. You want to get rid of terrorist elements unless they're your terrorist. You know what I mean? Like yeah, all the other people are going to like give your regime a push away. You want to get rid of them. Meanwhile, you're always going to have a group over here that you're aligned with or whatever. And and America's played that game too. But yes, that that's exactly right. A lot of these leaders absolutely support the idea of getting rid of Hamas. Right. And so it's just a stress that like a lot of the other Arab countries don't really care about the Palestinians. And so, uh, I mean, listen, you, you see the Houthis in Yemen throwing lobbing missiles at uh, ships, which is insane. Well, Nick, let's for those who don't know, because so much information is falling through the cracks. The big development this weekend, you, ju you just alluded to it. I want to get everybody on the same page before you make your point. Like ships from Britain and then from the United States and then commercial vessels from both countries came under rocket fire from the Houthis, who, of course, are in Yemen. And that is an Iranian backed group. Major, major battles out in the Red Sea right now, which threaten, by the way, the possibility again, as we keep covering the possibility of a larger regional war. The U.S. and Iran keep flirting and playing footsie underneath the table and trying to get into an actual hot war here. Well, before I mean, I don't know if you can characterize this major battle because a couple of these ships got hit by missiles and like you know minor damage which just seems weird because when you're picturing a missile hitting a ship that should be it like the ship just sinks right so it's not i'm not exactly sure if how accurate these missiles can could be or what's going on there or where they're hitting them 
Um, and, and luckily they're not because you're right. That would then become something major if they started to sink some ships that were, you know, American. That would be that would be a real provocative uh, start to something. But um, other than that, though, most of the it's been pretty muted across the board in a way that like I think. Um, and by the way, the other thing is making money like as cynical as that sounds does tend to ca- cause peace. <laughs> right. We'll have countries that would want to have peace in the name of like, let's make some cash together and we'll have to exploit some people. Don't you know, worry about that. But we will have some peace, at least, and not a lot of violence in the streets. So, you know, that's- everybody would much rather this thing come to an end and move beyond it and pretend like it didn't happen. And because what you're just saying, so much of this is economic. People would there are people right now who would really enjoy if Vladimir Putin would go ahead and pull out of the Ukraine so they could get back to doing business with Russia. Right. Openly. Not that they're not doing business with Russia, but do it openly. They would love that. Absolutely. For sure. And so, I mean, so that's the question is, you know, if, if we get rid of Hamas. Great. Like it would be better for everybody. I think I think that's even what the Palestinians would tell you. I don't think that they're that popular there either. So that's the question is, okay, if, if the if the goal, if everyone could agree that, you know what, Hamas is really shouldn't be around, it shouldn't be leading. Uh, this is the next thing. Well, how do we achieve that goal? I think that's where we get to. And that's the well, problem. And, and I just want to go ahead and, and draw a through line from the comparisons that we're making. George W. Bush should not have been president of the United States of America. He stole the election in 2000. Benjamin Netanyahu should be in a jail cell. He should not be the leader of Israel. Like, even if September 11th would have happened, if, I don't know, an Al Gore was in office, even if the attacks of October 7th would have happened with somebody besides Benjamin Netanyahu in charge of that government, these are not the people who should be handling the situation. Right. And Netanyahu should not be in power. And I know the United States doesn't want him in power at this point. Hardly the Israelis don't want him in power. In a just world, this release would do something. You yeah. know what I mean? If people knew about this, we would have a different situation or if they if we had the capacity to care about it. It's a huge, huge reveal. But I don't even feel like it's gotten the play that it needed to have, which I think is incredibly unfortunate. And I agree. I think, you know, Golda Meir had to resign after the Yom Kippur War because they were surprised and attacked that way. And uh, because the government was kind of set up that way, once you lose enough confidence in the people of of, uh, Israel, then you kind of have to resign because you're not going to be able to get anything done. But if you are like Netanyahu, they've kind of rigged it in the last several years in a way that like, you know, just like we did here with Trump, like we didn't realize, wait, there's not a law against that that you're doing all these different things. And so as a result, someone can take a severe advantage of the situation, which he's been doing now for all these years. And you know what the worst part about it is? Is as as how bad it's been for Gazans for the last 10, 50, or for you know, for a long, long time, for decades, it's probably worse in the West Bank. And because Israel Israel sort of condones what the settlers are Absolutely. doing. Settlers can kill people with impunity and they don't get uh, thrown yep. in jail. They steal land, they steal people's houses. And it's like it's and it's you can't say that the Gazans aren't seeing that and also feeling that, even though it's uh, you know separated by you know, a big land map or a big land portion where they're not connected to that. Uh, but it definitely is, is an attack on, they, they're all the same, you know, c- country. So uh, that's what uh, we have to be aware of is that it's the atrocities are really probably going on more in the West bank than they have been in Gaza. And so that's the other reason why Netanyahu has to leave and the other insane, insane people. Imagine Trump putting all the insane people he wants in. That's yeah. what's in Israel now. No, you you couldn't have nailed it more on the head. Netanyahu has effectively created around himself a, a rigged government 
and, and a, an authoritarian push. And on top of that, the settler movement, along with like the really, really rabid Zionist, they have created what MAGA wants to be. Yeah. Like they, they, they have effectively created a society that works like that. And now they have the keys to a war machine, which is the problem. They weren't able to actually protect the country. And on top of that, they should not be prosecuting the retaliation, which is why things are happening the way that they are. Yeah. And the saddest part about all this is that the, the real victims of all these of the atrocities on October 7th were people that I, I, I probably the vast majority would want a two state solution, would yes. want uh, Palestinians to be treated like you know humans. And uh, and and they're the ones who had to suffer while the guys in, in the government like Netanyahu and his cronies uh, aren't, aren't touched. And that's really um, the problem here. And you get to a certain age. That's what makes me worried. I, maybe we'll share it on Thursday. But there's a clip from Netanyahu when he was in the, his 20s in a very positive way, talking about the hopes to have a solution uh, that can have two states and they can be peaceful together. Um, and I, I worry that as you get older like that into your 70s and 80s and you feel like, well, you know, I'm closer to the end than the beginning, you, you kind of don't care. You don't have that hope anymore. And that's I, the killer. I don't know if it's a lack of hope. And that's something we can talk about if we want to get into that clip more. I think Netanyahu has realized, and this is a hard thing to realize about how politics work. You kind of have to like twist your mind a little bit. Think about Ronald Reagan and the Soviets. The Soviets were the best thing that ever happened to Ronald Reagan. You know, like they were his best friends, not because he hung out with Gorbachev, you know, and, and talked about like working together because fear of communism allowed him to run roughshod. It allowed him to to not only become one of the most powerful governors in the country, but one of the most powerful and transformative presidents of an era. Hamas, Netanyahu can sit here and tell you he hates Hamas and wants to destroy Hamas. It's the best thing that happened to his political career period. He would not continue to have power and he probably would be in jail if it wasn't for Hamas. So yeah, you kind of have to look at that. I don't know if it's you lose that hope or the cynicism and opportunity overwhelms it. it All right, Nick. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Well, I was just going to say on, on a similar note, uh, speaking of the Republican Party, Again, on Wednesday night, that this Wednesday, December 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're going to have our presumably the last GOP debate before the caucus in Iowa. Uh, we, again, are going to be broadcasting live after that. That should be around 10 p.m. Eastern. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. Nick, let's set the stage for this. It looks like I, I thought Chris Christie was not going to make it. It looks like Christie did. So we have a stage of four at this point. We have Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, uh, Chris Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Nick, a lot of things have happened since the last debate. And if people didn't listen to our last post-debate analysis, we told everybody Nikki Haley was going to get not only a boost in the polls, the machine was going to get behind her. The news now is that not only have the major donors that we've talked about, including Jamie Dimon, who we'll talk about in a second from JP Morgan, Cokeland is now behind Nikki Haley. The Koch brothers and their entire, entire political machine have pushed their chips into the center of the table behind Nikki Haley. Ron DeSantis is coming off of the Gavin Newsom debacle, which I, I kind of want to talk about what has come out from that debate as well. Chris Christie is hanging on by his fingernails. Vivek is just going to be Vivek. That's who he is. What are you looking for going into Wednesday? Well, you know, maybe they'll, they'll uh, will, will they give him a little party, like a cake? For like Christy and and maybe you know Vivek, just kind of like thanks for playing. That's really nice of you to be. Here's a watch. Yeah, yeah, we, right. We really appreciate. Yeah. So, you know, um, but that but that said, because of that, uh, you have to imagine someone's going to set somebody on fire. You Absolutely. know what I mean? 
And uh, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be cross-talking. It's going to be all the stuff, you know, we saw in the beginning of uh, the DeSantis and Newsom debate, uh, but worse. Um, and you know what? I, I you know, I got to say, I, whatever I had responded to in Nikki Haley's first appearance in that first debate, obviously, <laughs> uh, so other people are not responding to. But I, I wonder if guys like Jamie Dimon, who, you know, uh, they're going to they don't care who's in charge. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they just like sort of status quo. There's only the notion that perhaps and I was talking to a friend of the pod, Jason Needleman, who's, you know, political science professor who's been on the show a bunch. And he was thinking that, you know, uh, that he maybe he would want Nikki Haley because she's a little bit more mentally stable. And, you know, these markets, guys, they want they want stability. They want to just know it's, it's not all over the place with like the one t- tweet will cause the markets of royal. So uh, so I kind of get it there. But there's also this notion that, do you know, do do uh, do something somehow do they think that that Biden would more easily beat Nikki Haley? And that's why maybe the Democrats are going to like we've seen that in the last time where the Democrats pushed some of these really extreme people in the primaries in a way, right? They tried to help the, those guys in the, in the Republican primary, knowing that if they got that far, they would lose to the person who's a Democrat. It, it's dangerous to do that, right? It's very dangerous, but I don't know if that's part of this or not. Do you think it's anything to do with that? I think, so we're talking about JP Morgan's uh, CEO, Jamie Dimon, who is just going all over the place, telling Democrats to support Nikki Haley, which, uh, interesting. Um, to get in the weeds, uh, this is something I I would usually save this for a live stream, but I think this is important to talk about. The idea at this point is that Trump's nativist protectionist philosophy, and by the way, it's not his. It's just the people around him, the new MAGA right. They want to go into a full-fledged Cold War with China. You know, they, they want to go ahead and basically put down like a, a, a wall between America and China and go ahead and push American reindustrialization and just basically rip the Band-Aid off because America is going to reindustrialize. We're going to start making our goods along with Canada and Mexico. Nikki Haley and possibly even Joe Biden, he's been trying to work with this. There are a lot of people, Nick, who don't want to rip off that Band-Aid. They want to slowly wean off China. You know what I mean? Like they want to go ahead and keep trading with China, try and keep it very, very stable and keep up building American production of of not just goods and, you know, electronics, but also semiconductors. You know, they, they want to go ahead and make sure that like I, I got to tell you, America, if it keeps getting its iPhones, it'll kind of be a miracle at this point. You know, <laughs> like it's it's a little people don't like to talk about this, but it's a little wonky. But they kind of want somebody who, like you said, isn't going to fire off a tweet and start off a trade war that is going to, I don't know, turn into a hot war in these current circumstances. The other thing about it, though, I I, I just want to say real fast, Ron DeSantis, um, man, this is it's put up or shut up time. And I don't know what he could do. I guess he could turn water into wine on the stage, but I don't even think that would save his campaign because he would look crazy doing it. Um, Did you see Nick? by the way, that what came out of the the Fox News debate is that apparently Fox News set up the monitor so that DeSantis could see the questions that were coming. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Newsom was not happy about that. I mean, it didn't help him much, but uh, geez Louise. He, I mean, Gavin Newsom still stole his lunch in front of the world and absolutely destroyed him. Uh, DeSantis is, is in trouble. Chris Christie is about done. I hope they show like a Christie's Greatest Hits and I hope they do like swooning mo- like music and like a slow motion thing of him being like, we don't need Donald Duck. <laughs> the worst insult that's ever been said. Vivek doesn't care. Ramaswamy is there to, to become an influencer. And, and I got to tell you, as long as he's on the stage with everybody, he's going to be the lightning rod 
he's going to be the guy that everybody goes after. Um, but I think I think Nikki Haley is probably if if she's smart and if the money around her is smart, she's going to spend this entire debate going after Trump, doing absolutely nothing but ignoring everyone around her and just spending her entire time building her prosecution of Donald Trump. We, we shall see if she can resist going after Vivek or not. I don't know. They seem to have a thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. Part of me thought could, could envision her going at DeSantis a little bit. Um, you know, he's ripe uh, to do that. Again, she's behind him, right? So she needs to kind of do something. So there might be some interactions between them uh, that I think would be interesting. And then we'll see how the Santa acts, you know, to a woman. Because uh, I, I feel like I can't picture in my mind, I'm like, I'm like maybe I'm blanking, uh, any kind of direct interactions between them and the other debates. They had They had a moment on China and fracking. Do you remember that where Nikki Haley was like, you've been welcoming China to to Florida over and over. And on top of that, you banned fracking. And he's like, well, that's not true. It was. Um, But she owns him. He's got nothing on her, which is another thing. Like he, Nick, I've been thinking about this. Who has Ron DeSantis actually scored points on? Do you know what I mean? Like the entire time of the last, you know, few months that he's been a nominee, who is he, who is he actually dunked on in this entire time? Do you have, do, can you think of anybody? I mean, I have to go through my notes, but nothing comes to mind right now, but you know, my brain is, is mush these days. Yeah. I, I don't think he has, I don't think there's been a single moment in any of this. I mean, the only thing that he's done, of course, is he says the word woke 87 times within like a two minute span, but that's all he's got. And people, you know, people want to sit around and talk about wokeness and they want to talk about a war on wokeness, but that's not really what they want. You know, they don't really want a person who just says that all the time. They want they want a cult leader is what they want. And and Ron DeSantis, I'm sorry, but if you join a cult of Ron DeSantis, you've got bigger problems. You know what I mean? Like if that's if that's the guy you're pledging your life to. I I had a moment the other day, Nick, where somebody came after me because I I, I judged that debate for Gavin Newsom. And somebody had like DeSantis in like their screen name on Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, either that person is like paid by the Ron DeSantis campaign to tweet or like they need help. (laughs) Right. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine being like a public Ron DeSantis supporter at this point? I mean, listen, so, you know, there are people who are fans of lots of things and they, you know, they, they drink the Kool-Aid and they like it, but. Uh, That's like oh. driving around with a sticker that says honk for E. coli. <laughs> right. Okay. All I can think of is, is what Newsom said when he goes, you're trying to out Trump Trump. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? That was like, that was devastating. Like there's no other way to say it. How's it going from your, your 40 points behind, whatever it is. It's like, it's not going well. I want to, I want to point out, listen, I, I don't pat myself on the back very much. I want to give myself credit where credit is due. The calls for Harris to go back and become governor of California have started. <laughs> I said, I said, you know, if you want to try and engineer something, you want to get Newsom near that uh, that ticket, you're going to start seeing some Harris for California governor talk. And it it's 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 soft launched. I'll just say that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'd have to try and get have her safe face and make it seem like she's not just, you know, uh, stepping down because they don't think she's a good candidate yada yada um that i it, i guess listen everything is unprecedented in this time of day this sure. era so like we can't throw that out there but the idea that a 
the vice president would somehow swap with the governor of California for that governor to then run for to, to leap over the incumbent to go run for the president. How could you ever you, you couldn't write that in a screenplay? No one would ever believe that. All I want to bring up is 1972, where the Democratic presumed nominee for vice president was revealed had undergone electroshock therapy. I, I just want to bring up like things get weird in times like these. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, right. They, they do. I just watch all the president's men, by the way, uh, speaking oh, that's of good and, um, and, uh, yes. So, uh, you're right. This, that would be weirder. It's it a would be weirder. weird, a greerder, I suppose. Yeah. But anyway, we, we, it, we digress. It would be weird. Uh, but that debate again is Wednesday, 8 PM Eastern. We'll be broadcasting live after that with exclusive analysis. I, I think that this is going to tell us everything we need to know going into Iowa. I would bet within the month between this and the Iowa caucuses, I think the picture of what's getting ready to happen is going to shore up because you are going to see, I mean, the amount of Nikki Haley ads that are going to happen in, in caucus and primary States, you're not going to be able to get away from them. Like the money that the Cokes and diamond and all these people are, are pushing towards her. Um, it's, it's, she's going to overtake DeSantis is what's going to happen. The question is, what happens after you overtake DeSantis? And, and I think we're going to get the beginning of a glimpse of Nikki Haley, uh, you know, quote unquote front runner, because of course she's behind Trump, but the, uh, the person who's showing up, who's the, the de facto front runner. Yeah. But and by the way, like if, or when, when Trump wins the nomination, like they're, they're going to give him the money again, right? They're, they're going to be like, Oh, just kidding. Oh no, you no, you couldn't be more right. Everybody right now saying they'd never support Trump. They're done with Trump. Nick, they're, they're kicking it. They're done. They're 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 getting they're getting in rehab. They're done with Trump. They're never going to touch the stuff again. <laughs> they will absolutely touch the stuff again. And that sound you heard is the Koch brothers. Well, one of them, the one who's alive, keeping like his 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 crypt keeper arms around the pot that is in the middle of the table, ready to pull it right back. Uh, that you know that image is even more gruesome in my mind. The, the lift with the drool and the, oh, such the, a such a gross bunch of human beings. And by the way, they did the same thing to Ron DeSantis. Yeah, like, like, like Ron DeSantis. It's basically like running into like your your ex girlfriend and her new boyfriend. You know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. oh, good to see you in Tuscaloosa. Although okay. I almost feel like it's like you're running to like your your ex girlfriend and and you don't realize the guy she's with is her boyfriend and you're just trying to like have a you know hey how's it going and it's a coke brother yeah you know it's it's really it's really tough and and the Ron DeSantis I will remember this forever I will remember the wrong I, I it will never leave my mind what a devastating political turn the Ron DeSantis campaign has had I cannot overstate that enough for people uh yes. I, you know, it, it's sad is really what it is. It, it is, is, it, is sad. it is a feces map of, uh, <laughs> of a kind of a campaign. Can I just, for the people who haven't yet watched or listened to our post uh, DeSantis Newsom broadcast, for those who don't know, just to get everybody up to speed, because that is a reference that we're going to need to bring up for a long time. Ron DeSantis, a national political figure, the governor of Florida and the second runner in the GOP primary thought it was a great idea to pull out of his pocket, which he wasn't supposed to have props, by the way. He pulled out a graphic novel displaying a sex act and a map that was described as a map of where feces have been found like that. He thought that was a great he thought that was a great idea. It's it's unbelievable, Nick. 
It, it truly is. And you know what? It started uh, out really uh, the same way and it's ending the same way. So it is just it's it's uh, shit in shit out. All right, everybody, we got to talk about these two uh, quick articles uh, that, that caught my eye. Nick, the first one was an editorial from The Washington Post. And man, there is some squirrely stuff happening in the discourse in, in American politics. The Washington Post, the editorial board, uh, board, and a reminder, what you just said, the Washington Post is the newspaper that took down Nixon, like the the, the pinnacle of American political reportage. Uh, they released this article titled, If Attitudes Don't Shift, a Political Dating Mismatch Will Threaten Marriage. And again, I've said this before. There are certain articles, Nick, I see them, I put them on my tab, I grab my coffee, I kick up my feet, I say, hold on my calls. This one from the Washington Post, Nick, is pretty wild. I'm going I'm to read from the beginning of it. Quote, ideological polarization is now a mainstay of American politics. Millions of young Americans will go home this Thanksgiving and find themselves in uncomfortable situations with relatives, especially uncles, <laughs> who love former President Donald Trump, hate vaccination, and think January 6, 2021, capital insurrection, and very fine people on both sides. In some ways, polarization is exactly what one would expect in a large, unwieldy democracy such as the United States. Americans no longer agree on many questions or of how to live or what to live for. These differences can't just be papered over through good faith dialogue because they are real. The problem with polarization, though, is that it has effects well beyond the political realm, and these can be difficult to anticipate. One example is the collapse of American marriage. A growing number of young women are discovering that they can't find suitable male partners. As a whole, men are increasingly struggling with or suffering from higher unemployment, lower rates of educational attainment, more drug addiction and deaths of despair, and generally less purpose and direction in their lives. But it's not just that. There's a growing ideological divide, too. Since Mr. Trump's election in 2016, the percentage of single women ages 18 to 30 who identify as liberal has shot up from slightly over 20% to 32%. Young men have not followed suit. If anything, they have grown more conservative. All right, we're starting off on shaky ground here, Nick. How do you how do you feel so far with this editorial? Uh, none of this, you know, they're not they're not citing any 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 polls or any numbers here. So none of this really rings true. And I have you know a daughter in college right now is nineteen, and I have a son who's in high school. Like I'm 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 about you know a few years before what they're talking about for this, but I can read the tea leaves going on. What's going on? There's none of this rings true to me. Can I real fast just to get the record straight? The quote unquote collapse of American marriage is not what's happening now. The collapse of American marriage was that the the feminist movement allowed women to start finding some common ground with men economically, socially, and legally. They started being able to go out and make a living for themselves. There wasn't going to be as much discrimination. And by the way, they found themselves able to leave marriages in which they were being abused, in which they weren't being treated, right? And they were able to go out and find something akin to an authentic life. Everybody says that's the collapse of marriage, which is why Republicans want to go ahead and, and take away women's rights they they will say as much as they possibly can it's not that america lost its morality it's not that america lost like uh, its principles it's that women who were being taken advantage of and abused were able to start charting their own course so already we're off to a galloping start in this editorial uh i mean listen i got some i got a spicy take on all this but you, you, well, I, well, well we'll get to that spicy take okay, keep so, going. moving forward quote in another era 
Political or ideological differences might have had less impact on marriage rates, but increasingly the political is personal. A 2021 survey of college students found that 71% of Democrats would not date someone with opposing views. There is some logic to this. Marriage across religious or political lines, if either partner considers these things to be central to their identity, can be associated with lower levels of life, life satisfaction, and politics is becoming more central to people's identity. This mismatch means that someone will need to compromise. As the researchers Lyman Stone and Brad Wilcox have noted, about one in five young singles will have little choice but to marry someone outside of their ideological tribe. The other option is that they decline to get married at all. Not an ideal outcome considering the data shows that marriage is good for the health of societies and individuals alike. There it is. I was waiting for that, by the way. Uh, when are they going to start talking about how good marriage is for like society? Oh, well, sure. And I, I have a reason why we're talking about this in just a second. I'll save it for the end. But Nick, I, I love the idea that like the, it says, like rhetorically, it says somebody's going to have to compromise and then points out that women are the ones who are going to have to choose somebody. By the way, it's not just ideological differences. It's the difference between a person who believes they should have autonomy over their body and someone who thinks that they should have no autonomy. And if they go ahead and have autonomy, maybe they should be prosecuted as murderers. But they're going ahead and saying this is for the good of society and in the individual. And there's a reason for that. But what, what are you thinking about? All right. Are we ready for my hot take? I, I have a hot take, too, but I'm ready for yours. All right. Where do they even go at the tab? I know what it says in the tab, but here's the thing. My first instinct, especially watching my kids growing up and seeing where the future is, I'm fascinated by the whole notion of dating now. What is yeah. what's it like high school? Now I'm seeing it in college. Um, so I quickly looked up some stats and I said, OK, what is the the increase in in uh, in homosexuality among men now versus, you know, whatever? Do you know the increase of percentage of men who are now considers themselves gay from 2011 till 2023? You know the. And by the way, I want to point out any of these statistics, and this is something that always gets to, has to be pointed out. The numbers have absolutely risen because people have found more freedom to have authentic lives. Instead exactly. of everybody thinking it's a contagion, it's the fact that people have always been gay or lesbian or transgender. It just so happened that they weren't able to express themselves. Right. Yeah. So among males, it went from like 3.5 to over 7% in 10 years, like doubles. Sure. So, and that, again, that's people who are willing to say that to somebody. Who oh, I, I, I bet the numbers are higher than that. Absolutely. Sure. So, yeah. so right away, it's like, okay, that's what, if we're moving more toward that, where people can finally feel more comfortable as their authentic self, then yes, straight women, we're going to find less people to want to marry, uh, who is a man who wants to marry a woman. Like that's simply, there's going to be less numbers there. And because of that explosion where people are now finally living that authentic life, then it's going to probably feel even more. So just on that alone. So anything else they're talking about, I mean, listen, ideology, I get it. Like if, if my wife was a MAGA, I don't, how would we ever get along? Right. That would be really strange. I mean, I, again, have you ever stared at the Madeline, um, uh, Mary Madeline and uh, Carville, uh, you know, uh, holiday photo they put out every year. I don't actually think they're that different from each other. I think if for people who don't know the Mary Magdalene and, and uh, Carville marriage has always been like, oh, my God, how they get along. Their politics aren't that different. That, that's how they got along. They, they were just in, involved in the whole uh, dog and pony show. Well, also, it's safe to say that if you were going to be a Republican when they were the big thing about, oh, how can they be all opposite? That was definitely not such a big deal compared to now. Right. No. And we know that Madeline is not a MAGA. She's not one of those anyway. No. So that, that, that could that could exist. But um, so but I but I do get some some of that notion of, yes, it's a probably a huge turnoff. I suppose this has to be the word. Like, if you know, if you're going out and then the guy just starts talking all sorts of uh, aggro, uh, you know, toxic masculinity bullshit. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're out on a date and all of a sudden the guy's like, 
I, th- I think women should uh, serve men. And it's like, oh, check. We're yeah. good here. But again, you'll notice that the Washington Post, it doesn't exactly say it explicit, explicitly, but rhetorically, it's that women are going to have to change their political opinions. That's really, yeah. But I want to point out, I, I have a couple of things I want to bring up because uh, one of the reasons why all this is happening, it goes to exactly what you're talking about. The great thing that nobody wants to talk about, the great weight that nobody wants to talk about. And this also has to do, again, with why Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court and also why the right is doing what it's doing. Birth rates. Birth rates are absolutely down. This is why people are talking about white replacement theory. Guess what? The boomer generation was a historically large generation. We created a country that was supposed to take care of them and revolve around them. All of a sudden, there ain't so many of them. They're not working as much and or they're dying. America is not the only country that's going through this. This is happening in China and countries all around the world. This is influencing stuff, whether they know it or they not. More or less, and if you go back to times, by the way, early 20th century, where we started talking about birth control, Nick, same shit. Women are being selfish. They're not thinking about the race. They're not thinking about the country. They need to have babies for the country, which is why when fascists and authoritarians take over, one of the first things they do is they tell the women to go live in the kitchen and have babies. That's the entire thing. It turns into a population war, which is one of the reasons why this is happening. Also, the second thing, Nick, is that this is normalcy bias. You know what's happening in this country? Less people are getting married. More families are living together. We're starting to see a rise of multifamily homes because people can't afford houses. They can't afford childcare. They can't put together a main living with the way things used to happen. So guess what? You're sitting there, those analysts, they're saying one in five women are going to have to change their opinion. Maybe, or maybe things are changing. And maybe with everything from uh, the rise of open, authentic lives, maybe the rise of different types of, of lifestyles, maybe the American family isn't going to look the way that we thought it was supposed to look. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Oh, yes. I mean, if I have to hear it, by the way, nuclear family is, comes back. This, this, That phrase, I can't believe we have to deal with that after 1989. And yet that's what these the, the Republicans want to bring back. The population war is interesting because there is a subset of the of the of our population or of our of our culture that does have a lot of babies in their families, right? And it's generally mm-hmm. a lot of like religious families. So that's another interesting thing where, um, and, and I'm talking about all the religions. When, when a lot of the really fervent religious people will have a lot of babies, uh, and those are the people who tend to be we talked about this before, kind of primed for the kind of authoritarian uh, rhetoric that we see coming out of the politicians now. And so that's not good either. Um, and, and by the way, not only are they primed for authoritarian ideas, they're they're ready and primed for uh, patriarchal ideas. Yeah. The thing that all this has in common, the nuclear family, the extended religious family, you name it, there's a patriarch. A man is in charge. He is the head of the family. Like all of this stuff, it's intertwining and it moves around. There's a reason why this is being pushed. And the reason is whether the Washington Post understands it or not. They're saying, hey, all, you're becoming a little too radical out there and how you think about yourselves and how you think about your relationships. You need to think about other things. You need to get your priorities straight. It is a centrist, moderate push, which we'll talk about in just a second, to say, hey, things are getting a little bit out of whack. We need to go ahead and pull this back a little bit. 
But another reason why it's a lot different now, I think, with the, with the younger generation is that I, I saw a Twitter thread last week about how, you know, the, the Gen Z people will roll their eyes out of their head when they hear about people who are, you know, 50 or 60 who were able to, like, buy a house and then it was like a nice house there and then they, they went to the next house and they were able they were able to get into the market in a way at a time when, like, it doesn't exist now. They can't, they'll never get that. And someone pushed back on that and said, you know what, that house that they think that they'll never be able to get back in 1965 was like a one bedroom, one bath, little nothing, barely, you know, they had to fix it up over 20 years and the whole thing. And then they were able to, after 25 years, graduate to something better. And meanwhile, now what they want is, you know, a, a three bedroom, two bath house, on 2,500 square feet on a nice lot. And they're never going to get that, right? Because that, and obviously you can't compare those two things. Interesting point where perhaps what we've now become accustomed to what we want and what we were used to when we were growing up, um, you know, might not be as attainable, but only because it is, it is that much, it's more, it's that much more nice what they're looking for compared to what the predecessors had been able to get into when they started out. I don't know if that rings true to you or not. Well, no, I well, And how are you supposed to buy a house when basically you have corporations using artificial intelligence and algorithms to buy up every possible house in order to turn it into rent seeking properties? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Like you can't go around saying, why aren't you all getting married and having more kids? <laughs> and meanwhile, have a corporate stranglehold over the entire economy that doesn't actually want to pay people and doesn't doesn't actually want to provide going back to what you said the boomers could pick a job and they had it for 40 years and then go back to the joke i made about chris christie they gave you a watch and they said take care of yourself mm-hmm. that's how it used to work things are changing and they either need to change one way or another but these centrists are absolute i mean their, their heads are up their own asses Nick, uh, one last article. I, I we'll, we'll we'll touch on this just a little bit. This showed up in the Atlantic. Uh, this is by Annie Lowry, who, by the way, I should point out is uh, Ezra Klein's uh, spouse, uh, which will be relevant in just a moment. The name of this article, Nick, uh, it's 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 listen. It is a um, it's a quiet title to an article. It's not trying to make any waves. It's not trying to upset anybody. The name of this article in the Atlantic by Annie Lowry: Inflation is your fault. Yeah. What, hey, that, that that's going to flip right by. No one's going to sc- tap on that when they scroll. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody's going to talk about that. And by the way, this went viral for all the wrong reasons, which is one of the reasons why this stuff uh, comes out. And I'll talk about in a second why this got published in the first place. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from it. Quote, People hate inflation, but not just not enough to spend less. This is one of the central tensions of today's economy in which things are going great, yet everyone is miserable. And in some ways, Americans have nobody to blame but themselves. Three years ago, the pandemic gnarled supply chains around the world, leading to shortages of many consumer goods. At the same time, the American government transferred roughly $1.8 trillion to households in the form of generous unemployment insurance benefits and amped up child tax credits, stimulus checks, and delayed of or forgiven student loan payments. Less supply, more demand. It was a recipe for higher cost. Costs really rose. A dozen eggs went for $1.33 the summer after the pandemic hit. The price topped out at $4.83 last winter. Gas prices nearly tripled. The cost of leasing an apartment surged. More recently, prices have been driven up, if more slowly, by the strong labor market. The unemployment rate is as low as it ever gets and has been for some time with labor shortages in a number of sectors. Air traffic control, education, retail, trucking, police and public safety, nursing, plumbing and electric. The tight labor market has forced employers to pay workers more, boosting wages, particularly at the lower end of the income spectrum. Shut it down, Nick. We're we're to blame. Eat shit. Pay more. And don't complain about it, period. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, um, I think the, the real reasons for this is credit cards. Uh, you know, when you charge something, you don't pay for it right then. It comes in the monthly and a month later. You can have a balance. You can find a low interest rate, perhaps. I really feel like you don't have the sticker shock a lot of the time because it's like you're not paying in cash like they used to back in the day a lot more. So I think that's a real big part of it. And if we ever went back to that, then people would really be like, oh, I, you know, I, they really can profoundly feel it. But even still, you, you know that there was an egg. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, when they were the collusion? Uh, yes, there's actually, egg collusion. Egg collusion. And so yeah. now it doesn't necessarily cover the most recent years of the last four or five years, but that lawsuit just came out and they proved that yeah. there was collusion. They were raising egg prices. And by the way, let me just give you a little hint. It wasn't just eggs. If they were doing it, everybody's been doing it, right? And so right. Uh, that is really the issue here. And I, whatever else they're saying, if they're not going to mention credit cards and the ease of use of those and the people having credit card debt, which I don't think they do in this article at all, uh, and they're not mentioning the of collusion, then I don't know what we're doing here. By the way, if you – and you're not wrong about credit and debit cards – but what would happen to the United States of America if we were actually taught how to budget and spend money, like in in actual courses? Like, what would what would happen to the American economy, Nick? Oh, it would probably crater because it, it, it would crater into a giant atomic cloud. Right. Because this is what happens. We talk all the time about how capitalism works. It has to grow and grow and grow and grow. And guess what? Over time. There's no real money to spend anymore. Everybody has to go in debt. And then all of a sudden you look around, you're like, oh my God, nobody has anything to spend anymore. Things are falling apart. You're not wrong in what you're saying, but this is an environment that has been created. Like that, there is a reason why this has happened. It didn't just happen because you and I and everybody listening to this is selfish or because like we're going out and doing whatever. We've been told to go out and buy everything. The American economy depends on it. And by the way, I don't know if you've been talking to anybody, Nick, this country's depressed as shit. Mm -hmm. It is not a happy country right now. So you're telling me that I have, I have money supposedly that you gave me that most people are using to pay off debt for the record. You're telling me that I shouldn't go out and spend my money when everything feels like it's falling apart anyway, and also the American economy tells me to spend my money? Shame on me. I guess I'm the asshole. Right. And by the way, you know, you kind of get happier when you buy something nice for yourself. Yes, we we are addicted to the dopamine. That is one of the main coping mechanisms that this country, which has a mental health crisis, is one of the few things we've learned to do besides go out and use drugs and opioids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward, because there is more corn on this cob, Nick. I, I'm, oh, man, it pisses me off. Quote, sticker shock is real. And in surveys, people say that they are trading down because of cost pressures. But I thought they were spending all their money, but that's neither here nor there. But in fact, they are spending more than ever have, even after accounting for higher prices. Huh, crazy. They are spending not just on necessities, but on fun stuff, amusement parks, Uber Eats. Can you imagine wanting to go to an amusement park? People just have a lot of money on hand. More broadly, they seem to be less likely to change their purchasing habits in response to price shifts. A raft of recent studies have found that American consumers have become less price sensitive in recent decades. Households are using fewer coupons. People are spending less time mulling over what to buy when they're shopping. Why? Maybe because although prices of, of many consumer goods are higher than they were a few years back, they're still much, much more affordable than they were a few dec decades ago. Your grandparents might have gone to three different grocery stores to get the best deals. Would it really be worth for you to do the same now? Who has the time to go to three grocery stores in this exploitative economy? 
Well, you know, then they're going to go home and they're going to uh, put on a little muumuu and then vacuum the the uh, the rug for a while and uh, have a drink. You know, the, the Americans are working more than <laughs> ever. I'm yeah. sorry that they're not cutting coupons, which I don't even know where to get coupons now. But I'm sorry they're not perusing like scavengers constantly trying to get 50 cents off of a of a, a, a cup of soup. Like, and meanwhile, they're not going from store to store. What in the hell are you talking about? Right. Well, by the way, what she's also saying is that the economy is going pretty well. And, I, and I've seen those reports that say that uh, uh, wages have increased faster than inflation. So if that's the case, then, yeah, they're going to they, they have that money. They're going to be able to spend it. That's all. Listen. OK, so w- let's finish. Let's finish this up because you're exactly right. And there's something to talk about here and why this is happening. Quote, another theory. Consumers might have become more brand loyal, less willing to trade Coke for Squirt or Nike for Skechers. Perhaps that is because companies have gotten better at tailing products to people's taste. Perhaps it is just inertia. People get stuck in their ways as they get older, as the average American has. You'll pay more Starbucks coffee because you always get Starbucks coffee. By the way, this is somebody saying, y'all like brands too much. That's (laughs) why inflation's happening. Because you want Coke instead of Sam's Choice. That's really what's getting published in The Atlantic right now. You know, what's funny is that I, 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 you have to remind me that's the title of this thing because it didn't feel like that's the title of this thing. But you're right. The, the whole thesis is that they're trying to blame the consumer for why the prices are higher or why there's inflation. It's insane. But, hey, you got to get readers, don't you? I, I'm just going to go to the end of this quote. People want to blame Joe Biden for their bills. They want to accuse stores of gouging them. The strange truth is that most people really are in a more comfortable position, even if they're not happy about it. Nick, the entire reason that this article, and by the way, how many people in your regular life read The Atlantic? Oh, I don't know. Not a lot. Are you having a lot of conversations about The Atlantic with people? Nah. Yeah, this wasn't to you, the consumer. This was to elites who want to believe that everybody is just wrong about how the economy feels to them and they just need to shut up about it. And you're right. Joe Biden can't control this. That's one of the reasons everyone's pissed off because corporate control of the economy far outstrips what the what the government can or is willing to do. So as a result, everything feels really bad. Everybody gets really frustrated. But who's to blame? You. You. It sucks. I hate this. I, I, I'm done. I know. There's not much to say beyond that. So I hear you. It's so fucking stupid. I'm so tired of these moderates getting after this and and trying to push this thing. All right, Nick, we will be back for the weekender on Friday. Uh, If you need to listen to that, and you should, go to patreon.com slash podcast. But also, Wednesday night, roughly 10 p.m. Eastern, we'll be live streaming after the final GOP debate before the Iowa caucus. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you haven't been to one of these, if you haven't listened to it, you're missing out. You should really come hang out. It's it's good for the live show. It's good for information moving forward. If you need us before then, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Saxton. Stay safe. Stay safe.